Since February of this year, we've been taking a journey through the book of Philippians, and I hope that all of you are loving this study. I know that I am. Um, I know that Tasha and a lot of the ladies are going through several book studies together on the book of Philippians, and just we're just digging in, and I hope you're enjoying the resources that we're giving you as a church, things like Right Now Media, you have that available to you. If you, don't, if you don't have Right Now Media, you can scan this QR code. This is our gift free to you. There are multiple resources, Bible studies, sermons, cartoons for your kids, Christian content for you to watch in your home. It's great stuff. You can check that out. If you don't have it, just scan that QR code. Um, it's Like I said, it's our gift to you. Also, we've been giving you the Talk It Over questions. Hopefully, you've been going over those as a fan family, talking about those around your table or in your table group. Um, Hey, we want you to be involved in a table group. And I know that there's a waiting list for people to get involved in table groups. When you have a waiting list, that means people need to sign up to lead. So if you think, hey, I could host people in my home and talk about Jesus, let us know. We have multiple people that are waiting to get plugged into a table group, all right? So I just want to encourage you with that. Last week, Pastor Ed did a great job preaching from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 4, but you know, Pastor Ed, last week, he had us all do some participation. Remember (laughs) Father Abraham, right? We all did that. I enjoyed it so much, I thought we'd do one today. I just thought, and there's, there's, how many remember the song, I'm in the Lord's Army? Anybody of you remember that one? All right. We're not going to do it. I just thought I'd make you think we are. Shoot the artillery, fly over the enemies, you know. All right, we're not going to do that today. All right. If you have your Bible, look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 11. Philippians chapter 3. And I just want to tell you today, we're going to look at my all time favorite statement in the Bible. I, I, I could just start preaching on this verse, but I'm going to hold back. But Philippians 3.10 is my favorite statement in the Bible. It's one of my top five favorite verses in the Bible. But when Paul said, I want to know Christ. That statement has just ripped at my heart since the first time I remember reading it as a young man. I want to know Christ. And and we're going to get to that verse in a bit, but I want to take you through a journey before we get there. So let's read Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 11. This is Paul speaking here. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, I'm faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage 
that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. If you want to read a set of verses that just like, like, you don't need pump me up music to work out. Just read this and just like get excited in your soul. I want to know Christ, yes, to the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. I'll skip that, right? Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Today I want to talk to you about knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I believe you have your hand on this word today. I believe you've been setting us up to this point. So Lord, I pray that I, I would speak clearly in the room and it would go clearly online. I pray that every heart would hear it. Lord, I, I pray today for something that changes us forever. I pray, Lord, that we realize and understand the urgency of the hour and the urgency of this message. I pray that we understand what you're calling us to as believers. Give me clarity as I preach this. Give me wisdom as I preach it. Direct my words. Give us ears to hear and a heart to respond. May this message today change generations. In your name I pray. Amen. At the end of World War I, General Pershing sent word to the troops in Europe. He was announcing that there was going to be a victory parade through the streets of Paris. There were two requirements to be a part of this parade. The soldiers had to have an outstanding record, and they had to be at least 186 centimeters tall. Word came to a company of American soldiers and the excitement built about how great it would be to march in that victory parade. But being Americans, none of them knew just how tall 186 centimeters were. But the men began comparing themselves, lining up back to back to see who was the tallest. And the tallest men in the company started talking smack to the shorter men. And started saying, it's okay, short stuff. We'll take your spot in the parade. We'll think of you when we're walking through the streets of Paris and we have women throwing stuff at us. Then an officer came to the barracks and to see if there were any candidates for the parade. He put the mark on the wall at 186 centimeters. Some men, some American soldiers walked up, saw the mark, walked away because they knew without a doubt they were not tall enough. Others tried, but still fell just a little bit short. Finally, the tallest man in the troop stood up to the wall, squared his shoulders, and discovered he was a quarter inch short of the mark, six feet and one half inch. You see, these men, when they compared themselves with themselves, they thought they would be tall enough to qualify. 
But when the standard came, none of them qualified. But you see, the same thing happens in the church all the time. But this time, instead of it being about a parade, we compare ourselves to each other when it comes to our salvation or our faith or our Christianity. And we think things like, well, I'm better than so-and-so, so I'm good. I'm better than the alcoholic, so I'm good. I'm better than the child abuser, so I'm good. I'm better than the one who's cheated on their spouse, so I'm good. I'm better than the gossip, so I'm good. I attend church regularly, so I'm better than the person who doesn't attend church regularly. I serve all the time. I give of my tithe all the time, so I'm better. And what we do is we compare ourselves to each other when we should be comparing ourselves to Jesus. And what I want to tell you today is our salvation, our faith, our Christian walk is not based on who or what we are better than. Our salvation is simply based on Jesus and Jesus Christ. Christ alone. And what Paul says is those of us who are comparing ourselves to each other and saying, I'm good because I'm better than them, what we're doing is we are basing it on our confidence in our flesh, and that leads us astray. Paul is speaking against that. Jesus speaks to the religious crowd about comparing themselves to each other. And this is exactly what Paul is teaching here. This is what we've seen in the first three verses of this text. What we saw last week in verse 2 and 3 as Pastor Ed was preaching was Paul was plagued by a group of false teachers called Judaizers. And these Judaizers, what they taught is they were teaching that in order for you to be a Christian, in order to have faith and to be truly right with God, you must conform to certain Jewish laws and customs. They didn't deny that you had to have faith in Jesus. They didn't deny that you had to accept Jesus in your heart. But what they said was, along with that, you must add works like circumcision. And they said things like this are essential requirements for true salvation. And what they were doing is they were giving us false standards. And Paul in Philippians warns us and the Philippian church to be aware of this. And he says things like, watch out for these dogs or these evil workers who teach this. And so in today's text, Paul goes on to argue that if there ever was a person who could be right with God based on the basis of keeping Jewish law, comparing himself to others, Paul says, it's me. He has all the right credentials. He has all the right pedigree. He says, I'm a Jew. I can trace my lineage all the way back to Abraham. I'm born a Hebrew of Hebrew parents. He can trace his roots to the prestigious tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day in accordance to the laws and customs of the Jewish land. But he didn't stop there. He says, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I'm a zealot. I persecuted the church and Christians. And not only that, he says, according to believing and following every Jewish custom. He says, I'm faultless. I'm perfect in that regard. Yet Paul says, none of that is enough. And I want you to hear me today. Paul's not making these statements. I think we can read statements like this and think Paul is boasting. Paul is teaching against having confidence in the flesh here. He's not boasting. He's, he understands the foolishness of boasting. 
Paul is simply making this statement so readers in Philippi and so readers today so we can understand that when we think this way, when we compare ourselves to other people, it is foolish. Why? Why is it foolish to compare yourself to somebody that you think doesn't add up to what you believe it should look like? Because you're comparing yourself to the wrong standard. And here's what I want to tell you today. No matter how righteous you are in your eyes, your righteousness will always fall short when you compare yourself to Jesus. Let me say it again. No matter how righteous you are in your eyes or in your mind or in your opinion, your righteousness, your good deeds will always fall short when compared to Jesus. Jesus is the only standard by which we must gauge ourselves and measure ourselves. We compare ourselves to Jesus, not to people, not to the worst of the worst, not to the best of the best. We put the mark on the wall and say, this is Jesus and this is what I compare myself to. It's what Paul's saying. And Paul is telling us, watch out for pastors or teachers or people, whoever they might be who make up knowing Jesus and serving Jesus. Paul says, watch out for those people who make knowing Jesus and serving Jesus about your works and about your flesh and about your accomplishments. Because listen to me, it's wrong. And when you make it about that, it will never lead you to knowing Jesus, ever ever. Jesus is the standard. Paul continues verse seven and eight, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. The Greek word for gain is an accounting term that means profit. The Greek word for loss is also an accounting term used to describe business loss. And Paul is using this language here to describe, in essence, the spiritual transaction that occurred in his life when Jesus redeemed him. He's saying it was a spiritual transaction. He's saying that all of my Jewish credentials, all of my religious credentials that I once thought were so important that I put them in the gain column, he says they are now worthless and I consider them loss. I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you have ever thought, and you don't have to raise your hand, this is just more of a reflective question, but how many of you have ever thought, once I get the new car, then I'll be happy, right? Or once I get the bigger house, then I'll be more content. Or once I get promoted and make more money, life will be better. Every single one of us in some way, form, or fashion have thought something like that. But what Paul is doing here, Paul is teaching that this thinking that think once I gain a possession or get a title, I'll find fulfillment. Paul is teaching that this type of thinking is shallow. And Paul's saying when you think you gain that possession or you achieve that accomplishment, what happens is oftentimes we find it's hollow. Yes, there might be something temporary because there's something about that new car smell, right? There's something that smells good about it, but right, it all wears off. And Paul's saying, hey, this thinking that once I gain more or get recognition or get titles, it'll do something. Yes, it might lift your spirits, but it's fleeting. And Paul is telling us, hey, until I met Jesus, I thought all the stuff that I put in the prophet column was worth it. 
But then when I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul saying my life changed and what once mattered to him no longer mattered. And Paul wants the church in Philippi to know and he wants us to know today. And I think this is extremely important and I want you to write this down. If you didn't bring notes, shame on you. You should be taking notes every week. Listen to me, I don't say that. For my sake, I say that for your benefit. Just hearing something for me, it's okay. But when I write it down, it begins to put it in my heart. Or if you're not going to write it down, screenshot this today. Here's what I want you to hear. This is important. Being a human doing or a human being or a human getting doesn't bring satisfaction and doesn't make us acceptable to Jesus. I think we've thought over the years that if I do enough things, it'll make Jesus love me more. Being a human doing does not make you acceptable to Jesus. Before Jesus, like many of us, Paul's saying, hey, all the things I did, all my, he's saying, That's, I took great pride in that. But once I met Jesus, all of that faded away. And Paul is adamant, and I want you to get this, absolutely nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. Absolutely nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. I'll say it again. Absolutely nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. Absolutely nothing in this world is more important than knowing Jesus. Let me say it again. Absolutely nothing, because I think I need to drive this home. Some of you are thinking, well, I still bought my bank. No, absolutely Well, this, no, absolutely nothing. Well, no, absolutely nothing in this world is more, well, if that guy likes me, absolutely nothing. If my wife does this, absolutely nothing. If I gain this, absolutely nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. Absolutely nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing Nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. Nothing in this world. Well, I'm going to get a scholarship. Good for you, but it's not more important than knowing Jesus. Well, I'm getting ready to get a $50,000 raise. Good job. But it's not more important than knowing Jesus. Nothing compares. What's it profit a man if you gain the whole world? Yet lose your soul. I think somebody needs to hear that again. Let me say it again. Absolutely nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. And you say, well, I gotta get this, I gotta get that. What if, if you gain everything but lose your soul, is it worth it? Nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. Paul continues, verse eight. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. Paul says, I consider everything, earthly accomplishments, religious accomplishments, accolades, titles, positions, recognition. Paul says, I consider all of that a loss compared to knowing Jesus. This word consider here, it carries the meaning of to evaluate or to assess. Paul, what he's saying here is I've evaluated everything Paul's saying, I evaluated all the things I put in the profit column and I've put all the, and I've evaluated all the things I put in the loss column. And he says, I still consider Jesus worth it. And I want you to hear me. Paul is writing these words to the church in Philippi some 30 years after his Damascus road experience. 
So this is why, why does it matter if he's 30 years? Because this is not like some new convert who's excited about Jesus, but his fire is going to fade out. This is some guy who's lived for Jesus for 30 years. He's went through persecution. He's been in prison. And he says, I consider it still knowing Jesus is more important than all the stuff I had. Do you get that? There's nothing in this world that is more valuable than knowing Jesus. And to the teenagers in the room, listen to me. I know that in this world, we think I've got to be accepted here and accepted here. Nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. Nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. I just kind of feel a weight on this right now. I think some of us in this room we desire Jesus and we want to be okay with Jesus, but we don't have a real heart for Jesus. And Paul's saying, I take everything that I considered valuable and I throw it away for Jesus. This is weighty. This is heavy. Paul says, knowing Jesus is by far more superior than anything else in this world. It's important that we get this. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. Again, screenshot this, write it down. No amount of human doing or earthly success will ever or can ever fully satisfy your heart's search for God. No amount of success, no amount of human doing will ever fully satisfy your heart's search for God. I remember that old song, Take This Whole World give me Jesus. None of it. Paul goes on to say, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now this word garbage is the Greek word scubala, not scooby-doo, scubala, all right? And how many of you know what this word means here? Anybody know what this word really means? Say it out loud. Come on, don't be embarrassed to say poop in God's house. It's okay, say it. That's what the word means, poop. Paul's using extreme language here. He's talking about dung, manure, excrement. He's talking, he says, I consider all the prophets worth nothing more than flushing them away compared to knowing Jesus. He's saying, I'll flush my money away. I'll flush my trophies away, my titles away, my position away, my, my corner office, my million dollar home, all six of my cars, my scholarships, my religious acceptance, my opportunities to preach on other people's stages, all these things. Paul's saying, I'll throw it all away compared to knowing Jesus. And I'm just telling you, Destiny Church, this is the place we need to get to in our life that nothing else is as valuable as knowing Jesus. Nothing else is as valuable as knowing Jesus. Nothing else. Everything else is garbage. I must throw it away for the sake of knowing Jesus. Paul is using extreme language here to communicate an extreme point that I believe is very important for the body of Christ to get, to grab a hold of, because I believe we place priority on everything else. And Paul is saying, hey, it's all garbage compared to knowing Jesus. James I. Packer makes one of the most incredible statements that I've personally ever heard. I read this as I was studying for this message. It'll be on the screen. 
You can write it down or screenshot it, whatever you wanna do, but listen to what he says here. What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective. I think we could stop right there and say that's probably the American mentality. Have a big enough objective, things I wanna aim for, things I wanna shoot for, things I wanna dream for, things I wanna get. And what I found out is the more stuff I get, the more stuff I want, right? I just keep aiming for something bigger and bigger. And listen, I'm not saying anything against aiming for good stuff in life. That's not what this message is about. James Packer says, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something with, which catches our imagination and lays a hold of our allegiance. And listen to what he says here. And this the Christian has, like no other man has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Let me say this again. What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays a hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other man has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be to know Jesus? I want you to hear me. Coming to the place where we consider all our earthly doings and accomplishments as garbage, listen to me, this is the place that God is calling the church to. This is where God wants the church, to where we say nothing else matters compared to knowing Jesus. I don't care what people say about me or think about me. Take this whole world and give me Jesus. I think that's the place God is trying to draw Destiny Church in. That's where he's drawing me to. That's where I'm leading this church. That's where we're going. Now listen to me. Are we going to all wake up tomorrow and say, man, I consider everything garbage? No. Listen to me. This is a lifetime. This is a journey. You're not going to wake up in the morning and say, I'm just throwing everything away and that's not even what I'm advocating. What I'm saying is you need to come to the place that you desire Jesus more than anything else in this world. This is where we need to get to and the journey needs to start today because in this world, I want everyone to hear me and I really, I really do feel a burden today in this message for our students, for our teenagers today. I want you to hear me because we've made it so much about success and popularity and that's what we have modeled as parents in front of you, that it's about being popular. We've pushed it. We've pushed it in our homes. Are you popular? We've pushed it work harder so you can make the team. We've pushed it work harder so you can get the scholarship. We've pushed it so you can make more money. We've, that's, what, that's what we value. You can throw stuff at me, but that, you have to admit that's been our value system in our homes. What's society think about you? What's the world think about you? And we push accolades. And listen, again, I'm not saying don't push your kids to be the best. That's not what I'm saying. But when you push your kids to be the best at the sake of knowing Jesus the most, it's wrong. I want you guys to evaluate yourselves. Parents, I want you to evaluate yourselves. And I just hear the Lord on this. I want you guys to evaluate yourself. Have you pushed Jesus more or sports more? What are we pushing more? Let's, start, let's, even, let's not talk about pushing it. What are you modeling more? Is this okay that we talk like this at Destiny Church? Because in this world, it's so easy to be trapped by the world's thinking that reaching our goals, climbing the ladder of success, and gaining popularity will bring satisfaction. But that's simply not the case. We need to realize how much the world has influenced the church. We need to realize how much the world has influenced our homes. And number one, we need to repent. 
We, mom and dads, you need to repent. Kids, you need to repent. We need to repent that we've made the world system more important. We need to repent. We need to line up with the word of God. We need to change our thinking. We need to get on track and see what God is saying because I want you to hear me. Popularity does not compare to knowing Jesus. Making more money does not compare to knowing Jesus. More success does not compare to knowing Jesus. More toys does not compare to knowing Jesus. Promotion does not compare to knowing Jesus. Nothing in this world satisfies like knowing Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. I'm not talking simply about Savior. Yes, I want you to know him as Savior, but it goes beyond that. Knowing Jesus beyond salvation is so great. Knowing Jesus as Lord of your life is all that really matters. It's all that matters. It's what God is challenging the body of Christ with. In these last days, we've been cold. We've been chasing after the world. And God is beginning to draw the church back in. And he's saying, make me priority in your life. Nothing in this world matters like knowing Jesus. Continuing on, verse 8 and 9, Paul says, I consider them garbage dung that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul is stressing here that all the works he previously did that he put in the gain column, they cannot gain him righteousness that he now has because of faith in Jesus. Paul's saying here, the only way to become righteous is to abandon works as the way to gain favor and to embrace faith in Jesus Christ. We don't gain favor with Jesus because we work hard or we do things for Jesus. We gain favor with God because we accept Jesus by faith. It's not your righteousness. Listen to me, nothing you do, nothing you gain will never be valuable enough to impress God. Let me say it again, nothing you do or nothing you gain will never be valuable enough to impress God. So what's Paul saying here? You wanna be right with Jesus? You wanna know Jesus? It's not about your works, it's about his works, it's about his grace, and it's about accepting his works by faith in your life. We getting this? I know this is deep. I know this is challenging. I know this is like, man, I got to change my whole life. Yes, we do. It's time to change our lives. Listen to me. The most important thing in your Christian faith is to accept Jesus by faith. By faith, not by sight. That's what makes us right in the eyes of God. That's what makes us justified. And then verse 10 and 11, and as Elliot returns. Again, this is one of my, this is my favorite statement that anybody in the Bible makes, uh, a man makes. And I would have to say this is probably one of my top five verses along with what David said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water. Look, those, are my, those are my favorite verses. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And I'll explain to you why this is such a powerful statement because 
It's not like Paul is saying, I would like to know Michael Jordan. It's not like he's saying, I would like to know Ed Anderson. I mean, there's people I would like to meet. That's not what Paul's saying. It's not like, hey, I'd like to be an acquaintance of Mike Foster. Paul's saying, I want to know him. And I'll explain the depth of this in just a moment. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. And that right there is just kind of a heavy, weighty statement by itself. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Here's the deal. You can want to know someone deeply as a friend, but if that person does not want to be known, so again, for me, like when I was a kid, it would have been really cool to know Michael Jordan, right? Showing my age a little bit. Now it'd be Steph Curry or somebody like that. I don't care anymore. But I'm saying when I was a kid, but if that person doesn't desire to be known, it doesn't matter. So Paul says, I want to know Christ. If Jesus didn't desire to know him, it wouldn't matter. But the great thing is, is God desires to know you. He desires to be known by you. So when Paul makes this statement, he's not making some statement that's never going to come to fruition. Paul's saying, I want to know Christ. And listen to me, when Paul expresses his heart to know Christ, he's using a Greek verb that means to know him experientially. Now, I'm going to explain something to you guys today. And teenagers, moms, dads, all of us, this is what I'm getting ready to state. We need some maturity to understand this. Okay, this is not some frivolous statement that should make us giggle or to make us weirded out. But when Paul is using this term to know experientially, the same word, the same word is used in the Old Testament to refer to a sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. Genesis 4.1, it says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. Listen to me. When Paul is saying, I want to know Christ, He's talking about the same intimacy that a husband and a wife might have in knowing each other. He's not saying, I want you to have some maturity here. He's not saying, I want to have sex with God. It's not what he's stating. But he's saying, I want to know him. Like a husband would know a wife, like a parent would know a child, I want to know him. I don't want to just know about him. I don't want to just be an acquaintance of him. I want to know him. I want to know every detail. I want to know I want to know what makes him smile. I want to know what makes him laugh. I want to know what makes him happy. I want to know what makes him proud. I want to know what brings him anger. I want to know him. It's that level of intimacy that like I know him as well as anybody in this world knows him. I want to know him that intimately. It's like that of Tasha and I. I know my wife. We can make statements to each other and know what the other person was meaning just by a word, just because we know each other. And that's what Paul is saying here. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him with all of my heart. I want to know every single detail. I want to know him in an intimate and a deep and a strong way. Other people in the Bible have expressed this same type of desire. 
Moses being one of them. And God answered, listen to what God said to Moses in Exodus 33. This is Moses speaking. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said, hey, if you're not going with us, don't send us. And Destiny Church, I'm just going to be honest with you. I think what's been happening in the church world today more than anything is we've been operating in his absence more than his presence. And we need to get his presence back in the room. If we're going to see lives changed, if we're going to see people made whole, if we're going to see people saved, we need the presence of God, not the absence of God. And listen, that's what Moses goes on. How will anyone else know you're pleased with us? And how will, you, and how will anybody go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And this is where I want to just kind of focus in on as we close. There's an urgency in my heart for this message. I think more than at any point in time in my lifetime, I'm 47 years of age. I think more than ever before, listen to me, if we're going to make it in these last days, and I don't want to be melodramatic, I don't want to be that pastor that stands on the stage and says, if the Lord returns in 10 seconds, are you ready? That's not what I'm talking about. There's an urgency in my heart that there's something coming to specifically America. This isn't a fear message or anything like that, but I believe that suffering and persecution is coming to the church. And I believe if you don't intimately know Jesus you're going to fall away. I believe that with everything. Just a casual churchgoer is not going to cut it. Somebody just kind of talks about Jesus casually, it's not going to cut it. Jesus is looking for people that know him intimately, that sit at his feet. And Destiny Church, this is what I'm calling us to as a church. This needs to be the cry of every single Christian. Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want to be your friend. Lord, I want to know your face. I want to know you more than anything. I don't want to just know about you. I don't want to just know you for the good things you can do for me. I don't want to just be an acquaintance of yours. I don't want to just know you on the random Sunday that I walk into church. I don't want to know you just on a Wednesday night when I'm sitting there and listening to Pastor Ed teach. I don't want to know you just when I need you. I want to know you. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. Nothing else matters. I want to know him intimately. I want to know him deeply. And listen, the only way we can know Jesus is just as the only way that I can know my wife intimately is to spend time with her. The only way that I can know Jesus is to intimately spend time with Jesus. In Destiny Church, I'm calling us to a place of intimately searching after Jesus. Every day, getting in your word. Every single day. Every day, sitting at his feet and praying. Every day, worshiping. Not just casually. Not just when you need it. Or not just coming for Sunday morning and getting your booster shot. Whoa, I feel good for a week. No, every day, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus like Mary and saying I just want to know you every facet of who you are every angle of you I want to know you it's the only way you can get to know Jesus I can't stress enough the urgency of this hour I'm not playing games I'm not trying to be melodramatic 
It's the cry of my heart. It's the urge of my heart. It's what God is speaking to me. He's pounding it inside of me. He's driving it inside everything I hear, everything I read. It's all that's coming at me is we've got to know Jesus. Casual Christianity, complacent Christianity will not cut it anymore. In the last several weeks, I've listened to message after message after message from people you know to people you don't know. And every message has been about coming to the secret place, getting alone with Jesus in the secret place, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Psalm 91.1 says, he who dwells in the secret place. The key word is that not he who occasionally comes to the secret place, but he who dwells there. You see, I want to dwell in the secret place. It says, and in that person, I will give rest. God is calling us to the secret place. And I've heard messages on it. I've had text messages on it. I had a phone call this week with a pastor from another state that I just met over the phone. I've never met him face to face. And we were talking about this same thing. And it's like, God, everything I, everywhere I turn, everybody I talk to, this is what they're about. I, I, I was listening to a sermon this week, two weeks ago about from one of the number one churches probably in America that's chasing after God. You, you hear their worship music quite often. I was listening to their pastor. They theme their year the year of the table. It's all about sitting at the table with Jesus. Churches everywhere are chasing after this. We've got to sit down with Jesus. And then two weeks ago, my mom sent me this text from a, a friend of ours that we've known for years in Florida. He's a pastor there. I guess this is a lady that's an acquaintance of theirs or a friend of theirs or attends their church. I don't know her. But what she said just like struck a chord in my heart and I want to read it to you guys today and then I want to pray over you. She says, after six days alone with Jesus in the Swiss Alps, I think we could all handle that, right? Maybe for you it needs to be, after six days alone with Jesus on the beach, I don't know. She says, I've come to say one thing. I want you to hear me. The greatest thing you can learn in this hour is not how to be used by God. It's simply how to sit with God. And she goes on to confirm even what I just told you a minute ago. What is coming to the body of Christ is, is going to require one thing and one thing alone. Intimacy with Jesus. Without intimacy, listen to me, make no mistake, you will be deceived, your love will go cold, and you will be led astray. And she says, I know this sounds harsh and pretty straightforward, but please hear me. If there's one thing you need to focus on in this season, please let it be intimacy with Jesus. Learn how to sit with Jesus. I apologize that I've not taught you that as your pastor. The greatest frustration in my ministry right now that I've not taught people just to sit with Jesus. Learn how to sit with Jesus. Learn how to hear his voice. Let Jesus sharpen you in the secret place. My heart burns for this, she says, because I see what's coming and I know what it's going to require. The church has lacked intimacy for years. They've lacked the intimacy that will be, will be required in this next season. But there is a beautiful invitation that is marked with the fear of the Lord to return to the secret place. 
listen to me. She says, if this post resonates with you even just a little bit, please don't ignore it. Ignore it. Please press in. The Spirit of the Lord is emphasizing this, and I pray that we would have ears to hear and a heart to respond. Destiny Church, as your pastor, I'm calling you to the secret place. I'm calling you to sit at the feet of Jesus, not just on Sunday mornings. If, the, if, you're, if your Christian existence goes no further than Sunday morning, your faith is about a centimeter deep and you're not gonna make it. And that's not a statement of judgment. That's just the facts. I'm calling you to place of intimacy with Jesus. I'm calling you to prayer. I'm calling you to the word. I'm calling you to worship daily. Make it a priority. Don't let anything distract you. Don't let a day, don't let the sun go down. And you pull your covers over your night and say, oh, Jesus, I forgot to spend time with you today. Lord, repent of it immediately. Get out of your bed and say, Lord, I need to make you priority. Turn the television off. Turn social media off. Skip a ball game. Whatever you got to do, spend time with Jesus. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. Paul said, I want to know Christ. And it's a cry of my heart for me for my boys, for my wife, for my daughter, for my son-in-law, for my grandchildren. It's the cry of my heart for my friends. It's the cry of my heart for Destiny Church. And I wonder today, do you want to know Jesus?